times in my life where I felt I was well managed, well supported, I thrived. Do you yeah. know, my productivity was very high. But in times where I had the opposite experience, it had an impact on my well-being. So it's common sense in lots of ways, but I think it's about managers having the skills as well to be able to manage that well-being piece and that interpersonal piece with staff. Hello and welcome to another episode of HSE Talk in Health and Wellbeing. And today I'm talking with Biddy O'Neill from Healthy Ireland in the Department of Health, who's leading on the Healthy Workplace Framework, which was published last year and more recently have launched a Healthy Workplace website. You're very welcome, Biddy. Thank you, Fergal. So first of all, healthy workplaces. Why are we getting involved in healthy workplaces? Why did the department think this is a great idea? So from an international perspective, the healthy workplace has been identified as a key setting for targeting individuals in terms of improving their health and well-being. And from an Irish context, it is an action in the Healthy Ireland framework, and it's also an action in the strategic framework. When I went on board, it was very much recognised that this was an area we needed to develop in Ireland. Our counterparts in other countries are way ahead, like Scotland and Wales and, you know, farther afield, New Zealand, Canada. A lot of them have very well established structures to support health and well-being in the workplace. When you think of it, though, the potential is enormous, isn't it? Yeah. So the reach is enormous. At the moment, I heard yesterday that there's two and a half million or 2.6 million people in employment now in Ireland. So that reach in terms of them and their potential families is the great audience and would be very difficult to get an audience like that in terms of promoting health and well-being or with other health messages or with health messages. So the department set out, I remember a while back hearing about the development of the Healthy Workplace Framework. Yeah, when I started out there, firstly, it was around looking at who are our key stakeholders here. So within any of the workplaces, particularly the larger workplaces, occupational health, health and safety, human resources, and then where there are dedicated health and well-being people are the key drivers of this agenda. So at the outset, we had some engagement with them in terms of how this should be shaped. And also, I suppose, from an academic perspective, it was important to see what the evidence on that was. So we set out with a plan then in terms of developing the policy framework. And our colleagues in the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment came on board with us and supported the development along the way and recognized that this was part of their brief as well, ultimately, just to have a healthy workforce to be sustainable. But we recognised the need to do research, we recognised the need to do consultation and our colleagues in the Department of Health actually conducted the research for us at the time and there was three very comprehensive papers completed on that and then the Institute of Public Health partnered with us to lead out on the consultation. So those partners were critical at the outset because we didn't have a huge amount of resources in-house to do this work. And what was your early take on the research that you did in your own department? Well, the early take was that, yes, the workplace well-being can have a significant impact. You know, it can impact lifestyle and health behaviours. It can also impact health outcomes and certainly organisational metrics as well. There's clear evidence that it's linked to reducing absenteeism. So there was a good evidence base, which supported all the international evidence that was there in other countries. But we needed to do it for ourselves. And the other piece I was supposed to mention at the outset, one of the things we recognised was the lack of capacity within organisations to drive health and wellbeing. That health and safety, while health comes under safety, it doesn't get the priority necessary. And health and safety has that legislative impetus. Impetus, yes, but it's very much around the safety and the enforcement and yeah. all of that. So one of the things initially was to look at that whole area of training. So our colleagues in the University of Galway worked with us and the two departments provided seed funding to get the postgraduate course in workplace wellness off the ground so that when people are in their organization, they have the skills and the resource and the ability, the confidence 
to actually drive workplace well-being. I see that growing in recent years. Yeah. There's a couple of other third level institutions. Yeah, so it's really positive to see that we have got courses now in Trinity, postgrad course on workplace wellness, and also University of Limerick are now delivering a master's on leadership and workplace well-being. So it's really great to see that capacity piece, the response to that capacity piece and the need, obviously, because all courses are very well subscribed. Yeah, I suppose we'd be short-sighted to think that you can bring a new concept into a new setting without creating that capacity or that thinking or if it becomes an add-on that's somebody else's job then it's never done well. Yeah and that's been the huge risk and that is the huge risk as I see it in terms of workplace well-being is that if it's not somebody's role and responsibility it becomes a bit of an add-on and somebody that might be interested in well-being will take a lead on it but then if they move on the energy for that area is gone so Having the responsibility for it as part of someone's brief, I see as one of the critical factors in terms of driving this agenda. Yeah, that was one of the things that popped out to me now when the early evidence Mm. was published as well. One of your reports, like it has to become a part of your workplace culture. It's not a simple, maybe that having a quick look in the window here isn't going to fix it. Like it's not going to be just an add on or two awareness days a year or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And in all of the research we did and all the consultation and looking at other international evidence, one of the most startling things was the impact of culture. And that emerged as a really strong priority. So the Health Research Board, who worked with us on other reports as well, completed a piece of work looking at the effect of culture and well-being. And again, very strong evidence that the culture of a workplace mediates for the impact of well-being. Factors like people's job satisfaction, job clarity, roles and responsibilities, relationships with their managers, leadership, they all have a huge impact on the culture, which ultimately impacts on well-being. Yeah, so before you get to lifestyle elements, you need to focus on, do I like coming to work? Is work a healthy place? That piece that jumps out very often is that relationship with your manager. Yeah. Isn't it? That's a very common theme that comes up. It's a very common theme. And I suppose in fairness to workplaces, the initial reaction sometimes is we need to do something on well-being. Yeah, yeah. And lots of people are very good intentions think, yeah, well, we'll put on a walk or we'll put on a run or we'll do something that will engage people. And then they can't understand how it's not sustainable or that people maybe don't get involved. That's where we would say, based on evidence, that you need to engage with your staff. You need to consult with them as to see what's important for them. Because depending on your cohort, your age profile, the gender of your team, their needs could be very different, you know. So the needs of a middle-aged male-dominated working environment may be very different to young females, you know, if that's the predominant force. So that's why the needs assessment is really important. So just going back to the piece there you mentioned about the relationship with the manager, managers have a huge impact. I would always say from a personal level that that's something I can relate to as well. The times in my life where I felt I was well-managed, well-supported, I thrived, you know. My productivity was very high. But in times where I had the opposite experience, it had an impact on my well-being. So it's common sense in lots of ways. But I think it's about managers having the skills as well to be able to manage that well-being piece and that interpersonal piece with staff. Yeah. I was reading research recently and they talked about our relationship with our manager at work is the most important relationship in the workplace. And it struck me and it stayed with me. Oh, yeah. And in terms of well-being, they have identified oh, yeah. that and as the number one. And workplace health promotion and interventions are down the list. Do you know? And that came from a report in the UK just published two years ago. So I think it's often overlooked and I think it's a really critical overlooked. With big organisations, then we have different levels of With big organisations, we nearly have to target the managers, I sense. We nearly have to make the managers feel 
managers I sense from on high managers from on high really get into the culture and walk the walk really get senior leadership I guess walk the walk let it cascade I guess and let it cascade and I suppose it's how we support managers and I suppose it's how we support managers you know that we expect a lot of managers to manage teams they're managing down they're managing up and it is how we support them and if they're well being supported they're more likely to look after their team but it tends to spiral down through a system poor management practices or negativity or poor culture it tends to spiral and I suppose again all the evidence would say that the leadership demonstrated at the top in the workplace is a critical component that if the CEO is recognises that this is important and then it goes down the line through the system and I think there was a really good example of that recently was our colleagues in Irish Rail won an award that we sponsor which we can talk about in a minute but at the awards whereas their CEO you know really they're supporting them whether they won or lost they didn't know at that point right so it was just to me it was a demonstration of I'm here to support you you know I'm on this journey with you and I think that sends a really positive message out to the employees so you developed the evidence base and you developed a framework and the framework is literally what it says in the tent it's a framework to show people these are the priorities and these are the things that we need to address if we're going to be real about this yeah we were nearly ready to go with the framework and COVID struck Right. And I think in hindsight, that was probably a good thing because we had to reshape Fundamentally change. Fundamentally changed working. Like yeah, we yeah. had to suddenly incorporate remote working and working from home and flexibility and all of that. But the other thing I think that happened during COVID was there was a great realization among employers that their staff well-being was actually of vital importance. So yeah. there was a heightened awareness around it. And I think it brought it up the pecking order. Yes, you know? I appreciate that. And so absolutely. when we launched the framework at the end of 21, it was welcomed with open arms. There was a really positive reception yeah. to it. I think it. we've said that a couple of times mm. already that nobody didn't reflect on their well-being and no, no workplace no, or no. boss thought like like if I'm head wrecked here in some situation or really frustrated then my staff are going yeah. to be and then I suppose like you mentioned there there's so many workplaces in many of the public services or even in loads of shops were always open always on yeah. and then there was yeah. other workplaces that people were 100% remote yeah so there was huge diversity and mixture. So I think we haven't collected all that learning yet. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I mean, for those of us that could move remote working, that was an easy. But yeah. for those that had to make their environments safe to keep the production lines going, that was a huge task, you know, and there was a lot of workplaces that really had to put themselves to the wire to get that over the line. And so it was hugely challenging. But I think it has also been for me, one of the positive things coming out of it is the flexibility around working, but also the well-being agenda, I think, is really been appreciated. It's been appreciated. And this concept that reports talk about your staff, are your greatest assets. Yes. We know that that's so true. But a time like COVID, I think it really highlights that and brings a focus on it. Absolutely. And all the staff in the public system really put their backs to the wall to keep things going talk about your greatest assets it was like so evident across the public sector yeah no absolutely so in terms of the website then what do we so, want to do with so that? coming out then of the framework the next thing then was then to begin to consider how we're going to implement this and how to drive it and one of the challenges around the workplace is we don't have a niche where it fits into neatly because the workplace framework is for public and private sectors it's for all the organizations and there isn't a national so other countries have a national workplace implementation office and resources to drive it. So we're still challenged a little bit around how we're going to implement it. We did commission a report with an options appraisal and this idea of a phased approach was what emerged from that study. So we are looking at that and we're still exploring different options. 
But we also realised that there were certain things we could do. And again, in the options appraisal, I think 69% of those consulted said we need resources, we need access to up to date information. So we felt, OK, we can start with a website. This can be something really useful. We don't have a national website on Healthy Workplace. And so the last year, we put a lot of work into getting that up to speed and getting it launched eventually last week. So it's a one stop shop for workplaces, whereas there's information on where to begin, what steps you need to take and hopefully resources there to support each of those steps. And again, it's to try and move people away from that piece, as we talked about, just coming up with some lifestyle interventions, but actually sitting down and doing a bit of planning. And we know, Fergal, that planning is core to all health promotion work. We would have always learned that planning is a really important part of it. And so it's to help workplaces to understand that this is a process and it's not just the delivery of X and Y, that it's actually a process in terms of engaging people. And when people are engaged, they're more receptive them to becoming involved. I'm reminded of listening to Colin Regan talk about the way they do the settings approach yes. in the healthy club and trying yeah. to get the senior management or the committee back home in your club fully committed before you apply. So entering that kind of reflection stage as a club or as a workplace. Place. Absolutely. So very much at the beginning, we talk about gathering the stakeholders and establishing yeah. committee and then deciding what they're going to do and getting leadership support at the outset. So it's really to support workplaces in taking those steps and going the right direction. And then obviously within the workplace, when they consult and, and do a needs assessment, different areas emerge. So issues like mental health is very high priority in workplaces at the moment, physical activity, smoking station. So the specific health and well-being areas within the website. And a lot of them actually link back to the HSE resources. So, for example, the quit support is a hugely valuable service for the workplaces. And that links right back into the HSE websites. The same with physical activity in other areas. So in a way, I suppose it's a bit like a signposting for workplaces as well as to what's available and what's out there in your community. But you're putting them in a safe place in terms of good practice. Yes, yes. You know, that yes. was the one thing that uh, jumped out to me. You're given good exemplars from even yes. other countries. Yes. And hopefully we'll have more and more Irish examples yes. as we go on yeah. in this journey. But yeah. But looking at not just doing it, doing something good in yeah. a good way, like yeah. what you mentioned there, the process yeah. is nearly as important as the as the task. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think we're only starting and we need particularly around the SMEs, that section, there's very little information on it because we didn't have the resources. So we will be engaging some support now to develop specific resources for that with the true co-creation model, do you know, really sitting down with SMEs saying what do you need and what do you want and what? So, how can we support you? So those you? small, medium enterprises, like yeah. who are the early adopters here? Who do you see already kind of coming into this space or wanting to meet you and say, oh, look at the great work we're doing? Like, who do you think is ahead of the curve? There's here? Well, there's a mixture. There's some yeah. really good private sector exemplars. The public sector has really come up. And I think that's evident in the last number of years with some of our own colleagues and other government departments winning awards in, in the CIPD. So I think it's gathering momentum everywhere. The civil service have their own strategy. The local government management agency have their own well-being strategy. So there's huge impetus in public sector where this was very much a private sector enterprise in the past, you know, the notion of well-being. So I think there is much more openness. But the SMEs, because they are the highest employer in Ireland, they don't have specialist resources like HR. They tend to buy in those resources. So it's to find a way that we can support them. So we have a piece of work going on with Chambers Ireland at the moment in terms of consulting with their members because they have, I think, 39 networks throughout the country and they're consulting with their members in terms of whether they have a health and wellbeing policy and then what their needs are. So we'll have that report the end of June. So you think that would be a very important nut to crack then if you get into those? Yes, but I think it's the idea is to develop specific supports for them right, and right. really... Bespoke. 
bespoke and see what they actually need. And you mentioned the, the LGMA. So the yeah. local authorities, they're trying to make a bit of ground in this in, yeah. in the last year, is it? Yeah, or? local authorities, they launched their own framework in 2022. All right. And we've supported them because we have a very strong connection with the local authorities from Healthy Ireland. And they're the leaders in terms of the, the healthy communities, the healthy libraries. There's a lot of work, a lot of engagement with the local authorities. They're essential hub in terms of driving health and well-being. So we've given all the local authorities some seed funding to support them to implement their own framework. So that was launched in March this year. That's but interesting. They should be learning everything. They should that. be good learning. But also this year, just to mention at the CIPD Awards, Clare County Council won the best award in health and wellbeing for small to medium. So again, there's exemplars there within their own network of where there's really good work happening. So it's to build on that and showcase that. And do you think the big companies, like you mentioned, uh, the civil, the, the public, and there's some big, big companies already buying into that? Is there a push coming from other countries? They bring in like American culture in that we should be, or is that yeah. coming from the bottom up here in Ireland? Well, I think it's probably a bit of both. So going back 20 years ago when we were in health promotion initially, or even before that, there was nobody doing workplace wellbeing. The only people that occupational health was part of the American companies that came to Ireland. Wellbeing was not on the agenda. So some of it has come in because it is gathering, you know, it has gathered momentum globally. So some of the companies we have here are globally. But there's other companies like I'm seeing an uptake in construction sector, which is really positive. And again, they were recognized with the National Irish Safety Organization Awards last year for their healthy workplace. So it's really great to see because you and I who've been involved in men's health as well know that targeting men is a bit more challenging than engaging women. And so to see the construction sector taking the lead in this is a really positive step. Yeah, we had Noel Richardson on one of our episode four around yeah. men's health and he was telling us about the construction sector and he presented about the CORJA yeah. initiative that's yes. been supported yeah. by the National Office yeah. for Suicide Prevention. But it is inspiring, as you said, to see those construction companies. They're not just letting us in. Yeah. They're inviting us in. They're actually paving the way, yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. you know, no pun intended, and trying to reach their thousands and thousands of men around you know, mental health and suicidal ideation and things like that. So it's quite inspiring to see. Yeah. And I saw at your launch there last week, there was another construction company that had received an award. That was Glenvay, yes. They were presenting at the launch last week. That's right, yeah. No, it was really good to see that. But there are good case studies on the website and how we've built up the case studies. And look, there's lots of organisations doing a lot of work. We don't have any database in Ireland of who's involved in health and wellbeing and who's not. So... There's a lot of gaps, I suppose, but the ones that we have been involved with in terms of sponsoring the awards with the HRCIPD and with the MISO, we get case studies and we're building up that hub. And I find that workplaces love to hear how other workplaces have achieved what they've achieved. And on that website, you have community voluntary organisations, you have public sector organisations and you have private. So there's a real mixture and there is small to medium as well. There's a real mixture of different stories there in terms of moving this agenda forward. So, Billy, we mentioned earlier that it's culture first process and you'll be able to bring in your lifestyle or your topic approach on the back of that. What do you see as popular topics when these workplaces do a bit of a needs assessment or do consult with their staff? What are they coming back with? So I think the most popular one at the moment, and it's not surprising given the impact of COVID, is mental health in the workplace. There's been a huge demand in terms of supports around supporting staff and their mental well-being. And again, it's ensuring that that's in the context of an overall framework or policy for health and well-being. But yes, so that would be the most popular. And I think after that, it's probably physical activity and healthy eating. So those particular areas. 
linked on to the physical activity and healthy eating are are things like stress reduction, stress management, all of those skills that people need in terms of workplace. So there's a wide variety. And I said, again, depending on the workforce and the gender and the age, they all have an impact on them. And the examples that you give on the website show the way to work these things through. Yes, yes. So going back to that starting point of getting engagement in your workplace, conducting a needs assessment with the staff and then planning your interventions. And the other thing to say for workplaces and something that has been fed back to us through all of our engagement as well is that there's lots of health events happening throughout the year that you can link into as a workplace. You don't have to start from scratch, that you can piggyback on Men's Health Week, for example. You can piggyback on World No Tobacco Day. You know, you can piggyback on Breast Cancer Awareness. So there's so many health initiatives that go on through the year that often provide information and supports for workplaces once they begin to look into that. That it's not always about having a big budget, that it's identifying what's already happening that you can link it up with. Yeah, and when you get to that stage, they're definitely that staff engagement with a tangible, practical yes. thing in their workplace with yeah. their colleagues. Yeah. Like that's no matter what it is, it's a bit morale boosting, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I suppose for it to be effective and sustainable, it very much has to come back to being an overarching framework that takes account of the culture and that links all of the issues around work and well-being with lifestyle, that they're not done separately. Like that's what the evidence tells us, that it needs to be an integrated model to be effective and to be embedded in an organization. So when we do the awards for embedding a culture of health and well-being, what we're looking for is looking at where is it in the vision of the organization? Where is it in their strategic plan? Is health and well-being actually really part of this organization or is it an add-on? And it's very interesting because that actually becomes very evident as you talk to people, you know, as workplaces come in and present to us, it becomes really clear that this is really part of this organization. And I know I mentioned Irish Rail already, but they're in my head because they were recently awarded. But it is so evident in their strategic plan. They brought in the skills, they brought in a qualified person, they gave them the resources and they gave them the backing from management. So for me, like it's a classic health promotion example. If you put those pillars in place, you will get your results. You will get your engagement. And they would say it's a challenging organization with staff in multiple locations. It's your most difficult, but because all the right steps were taken. And you mentioned that their their senior leadership was mm. putting money as mouth where it was Absolutely. and showing up to these events. Yeah. You know, So I yeah. suppose when it's stitched into strategy, it's a part of everybody's yeah. work plan, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I suppose that's what we've been trying to do. And I mean, the other project that's an example of that, Fergal, that we've been involved in was the project on firm ground for the health for farmers, looking at farmers' well-being and working with our colleagues in the Department of Agriculture and how now they are beginning to take it on and think about the staff and their employees and the staff on the ground that work under agriculture. So it's getting others to take that on as well and see it as core to their business. That's the only way that this will really be rolled out and make it happen and become sustainable. Yeah, so it's interesting that you name your award there is embedding. Yes. And you keep emphasizing process and and there's no easy quick win or you you could do more damage really. You could you get a very cynical workforce if you started doing big things without the process behind it. But coming back to the topics, I do think absolutely there's a fertile space there with workplaces that do go on that journey and look around for the likes of mental health and physical activity. Mm. Like that can be a simple activated thing when you're, you know, in a good space when you've done that work behind it, isn't it? Absolutely. There's so many resources out there now to support physical activity. There's so many structures. There's great work going on through Sport Ireland, through local sports partnership. We've never had so much resources in physical activity. 
and there's so many opportunities. So much beautiful greenways and Absolutely. cycle tracks. We're finally creating the environment. Park runs. Yeah, but we're finally creating the yeah. environment to make it easier for people. Do you yeah. know, for years we didn't have the safe spaces. And recently we got some funding for the GA walking tracks to improve walking tracks, particularly in rural Ireland. And like, I'm just such an advocate for that because I live in West Wicklow in a rural community where there's at night you could not go anywhere. So the walking track and being able to use the lights has been like a lifeline for everybody in the community. And it becomes a social outlet. Complete social outlet for young and for old. So the infrastructure is one that, you know, that environment is always one of the pillars of health promotion. That until that's in place, yeah. you know, sometimes, just won't happen. Sometimes when we're like promoting different areas of health, I think we're not enough drawn the picture of all those physical activity opportunities because there's Selena's launches still around Absolutely. the place. There's loads of opportunities. Yeah. And the park runs have never been as popular. Yeah. And the cycle to work and all that effort to put in cycle lanes to encourage people. Because unless you have those facilities, unless the environment is there, we can't expect people. Like I was in Amsterdam recently and you literally would get run over by bicycles. It's not the cars I was looking at. It was the bikes. Yeah. Because... Every street has bike lanes. Yeah. It is so. It was just a couple of weeks ago. It was Bike Awareness Week or, yeah. or Cycle to Work Week. But I saw a whole year of students cycling around Tullamore. Yeah. And I thought that is such a throwback, which yeah. is sad in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? But to yeah. see a whole. Yeah. Like it must have been 30 or 40 lads cycling bikes with the teachers around the town. I thought yeah. like it was, yeah. you know, it's definitely make you think. Yeah, and a lot of the universities have the Smarter Travel campus, you know, and have like really innovative things like bike checks, bike support for people with punctures, repairs. There's so many initiatives out there to try and encourage people to keep active. As you said, a lot of them we're not even aware of. And we don't need to be once it's happening. That's the way I see it. So if it's happening, that's great. It doesn't matter what motivated that. So Smarter Travel, I think, was motivated from cleaner air. But actually, it's a huge benefit to health. Overall, physical health as well. Yeah, there's you know? so many dividends across yeah. the way, isn't there? Yeah. Like, yeah. and then like we started talking about mental health, but obviously physical activity and mental health are first cousins. Absolutely. And we are developing a national mental health promotion plan at the moment as well. And workplace will be a key component of that. And mental health affects all health and all our physical health affects our mental health. So they're very much interrelated, do you know, and people's mental well-being hugely impacts on the choices they make around health behaviours and lifestyles. So for me, it's gone back to that holistic model of health, which is what I started with many years ago, and that they're all interrelated. And I think sometimes we've separated them out. To think that we can do them, but we can't do them without each other. we can't do them without each other because they're so interconnected. And for me, it's like we've come full circle in terms of looking at the whole person again and not just their physical health or their mental health because they're all so, so connected. Yeah, I was thinking about that actually in the run up to this interview. I thought about the first health promotion strategy and then we're looking at settings and population groups and policy areas in the second health promotion strategy. Must be interesting, like you've been on board the health promotion journey in Ireland from the very outset. And now we have the Healthy Ireland Strategic Action Plan. What's your sense of where we've come from? Yeah, I hate to admit it, nearly 30 years, Fergal. 30 years this year in health promotion. So very much at the outset, it was about the lifestyle and the topics. And that gathered momentum, I think, for quite a number of years. But then when the recession came, a lot of our momentum for everything went. But we've come now, I think, and we're back. You need the settings and you need the topics. But it's how we integrate them. Do you know, for me, it's using a settings approach and addressing the topics within that settings approach. If you take about a workplace, it gives us the organizational perspective. It gives us the culture. It gives us all aspects of it. And it's an opportunity to address the lifestyle issues as well. 
So it shouldn't be seen as this is one and this is the other. They can work very well together, which is, I think, how we would have worked in health promotion for many years, is that they're very much integrated together. And that's based on the WHO framework, and it's based on international evidence that this is the most effective way to drive and deliver health promotion. So what's your hopes and dreams now? You've got your framework, you've got your website, you're doing a piece of work with Chambers to look at the SMEs, you're looking outside at, at other enablers. We've also started the piece of research around the baseline survey on worker health and wellbeing. Well, that's so very interesting, that's, isn't it? Yeah. We're delighted to get that off the ground because we don't have any data other than pockets of data in different yeah. surveys. So, so what does that tell us? So that will give us information. So it'll be an independent study on a sample of the population in terms of their experience at work, their stress at work, their if there's well-being at work and the organisational factors that impact on them as well. Do you know the culture they're experiencing in that? So there's a whole range of areas that that's actually going to cover. So I think it'd be a really good baseline to have going forward in terms of worker health. And has that started or is yeah. it starting? So, year? no, the tender was awarded last October, November. So they're doing the lit review at the moment. They'll be developing the questionnaire next. They'll be pilot testing and then they'll be collecting data by November, December. So by next year, we'll have some Who's uh, doing that? core researcher leading All out right, on that for us. Yeah. So it's great to have those pillars, but the most critical piece for me at the moment is to find an implementation model for the Healthy Workplace Framework, to put it in a firm footing and to continue to build that capacity piece, to continue to build the website, the resources, training, you know, and I'd love to develop training for staff who are partly involved in this area, but not necessarily have to do a full post-grad cert, but yeah. that there will be other pockets of it. Like a health and wellbeing champion. Yes. Pan Farrell and Irish Rail will tell us about that. There's a few different models around that. Absolutely. And that is one of the things in our framework as well is to develop trainers for champions. And again, it's just having the time and the resources yeah. to do all these things. But yeah, I think there's plenty to be done. And ultimately, I suppose where I'd love to see us going is that we would have some type of a national structure to drive this and that we would eventually develop our own accreditation awards under Healthy Ireland for healthy workplaces. Because University Galway did a piece of work for us, I think it was about 2018, on looking at accreditation models in other countries. Now, we didn't publish it at the time because we felt it was a bit premature, but it looked at other countries like New Zealand and Wales, and we'd be well positioned to follow their models and their learnings along the way. Because that recognition... I think recognition is huge, yeah. It's huge, and I never appreciated it until I started talking to workplaces and going in and seeing the value of them getting their award, their poster, their photograph, all of those things. And it has a knock on effect on along through the system. Yeah, That piece about leadership and strategy yeah. and corporate messaging, yeah. like they are a business yeah. or they are a function yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. you know. And the valuing of the staff and all of that when organisations achieve their goals. And it's a joint effort because this is staff coming together as well. So recognition is really important and valuing that recognition with in an organization. Thanks very much, Biddy. I'd like to congratulate you on the Healthy Workplace. We should give the website, it's healthyworkplace.ie and uh, you were supported in the development of this. It was a very joint effort and was a great experience and a great learning experience as well. Yeah, we look forward to supporting it over the next period of time. Yeah. But I'd like to thank you for coming in to talk to us today, telling us all about it and telling us all about the background and I uh, wish you the best of luck with it in the future. And thank you for listening to another episode of HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing.